0: This is Michael Harlan Turkel, host of The Food Scene. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more.
1: Thank you so much for tuning in to the Heritage Radio Network. We are coming to you, as always, live from the back of Roberta's Pizza here in Bushwick, Brooklyn. And you've tuned in to The Farm Report. I'm your host, Erin Fairbanks, and I'm joined in the the studio today by two esteemed guests. We're going to be talking about the wild and rascally world of rabbit. I'm going to try to avoid doing my, my any rapid impression. If, if I start, you guys will stop me. So um, in the studio, we have Taylor Naples, who's the chef de cuisine at Kraft here in New York. Taylor, welcome oh. to the show.
2: Thanks. It's great to be here.
1: And we are joined by his farmer, Patrick Beck of New England Grass-Fet. Pat, welcome to the show.
3: Thanks for having us. It's a special pleasure.
1: Well, I'm excited because I don't know... Anything about rabbit, but before we get into kind of the, the nuts and bolts of rabbit, I want to hear a little bit more from each of you um, on, on how you guys came together. So, Patrick, maybe we'll start start with you. So, can you give folks a, a little primer on New, new England grass fed? What, what is that?
3: Sure, I'd be happy to. We raise grass fed beef and rabbits to a very high standard, rotationally grazed in coastal Rhode Island and so, or all around southern New England. And uh, Taylor and I met through a mutual friend, uh, actually through rose veal. So we have a special pastured humane veal product that's one of the hardest to find, and we were selling that to a, a friend in in uh, Newport who went to culinary school with Taylor, and that brought us together on the veal side. And now we're looking at uh, at uh, some heritage breed rabbits.
1: Awesome. So Taylor, you are newish, I guess, to the craft family, or more maybe this is like your second tour of duty. Um, give us a little sense of your current role.
2: Uh, so currently I'm the chef de cuisine at Kraft. Uh, before that, I spent a bit of time at Colecchio and & Sons. And then before that, when I started with the company about a year ago, uh, I was a sous chef at Kraft. Cool. So kind of just rose through the ranks.
1: Nice. So Rabbit is something, you know, I see a little bit on menus around town, but not a ton. What kind of prompted you to add it to your fall lineup?
2: For me, uh, you know, Patrick and I have been in contact for about a year now just talking about things that he does and uh, for me I'm always interested in things how they used to be, uh, specifically rabbits Patrick uh, Patrick's rabbits come skin on and things like that so uh, for me it speaks volumes to how he raises them and in turn how I should treat the product um, and rabbit isn't something that's done very often, let alone very well uh, so for me I like the challenge and it's, it's interesting for my cooks to have something different come into the kitchen than just chicken and beef and fish and things like that
1: yeah, for sure. Patrick, how about you? Why, why rabbit? I mean, b- beef, yes, I'm with you. And then rabbits as an, an additional, is there like a symbiosis between the two or you just have an affinity for the rabbit?
3: Well, both. Actually, I started as a salesman for a grass-fed farm in 2009 and, uh, for a beef farm. We were selling grass-fed beef, but I wanted to produce something of my own. I wanted some credibility within the farm community, and I saw a rabbit as a totally underserved protein, absolutely absent from, from the lineup of most chefs. And uh, I realized that a heritage breed is something I could focus on and do uh, to a, a high standard in a pastured rotational graze program.
1: Cool. So you chose the silver fox. So, uh, you know, a little bit about silver fox rabbits. They were the third rabbit breed developed here in the U.S. And, um, you know, I was doing some research uh, with our friends over at the Livestock Conservancy. Uh, it's a great resource for any kind of rare breed, animals and you know one of the things they talk about with rabbits is like whether it's a, a meat animal or a fur animal and silver foxes are multi purpose and I'm wondering if you can explain to our listeners what what makes an animal a multi purpose animal
3: well the silver fox is indeed it was developed in Ohio in 1920 by Walter Garland by crossing a French silver the Champagne d'Argent was crossed with a self colored checkered giant so a big English breed and uh, for us the hide. The fur does not come into play. We don't raise them long enough for the hide to develop the thickness to be worth of anything. But uh, for sure, the meat is special, and what we get is a quality of, of muscle development at, at the expense of some litter size. So the reason to raise a heritage breed is their hardiness. They're th- they thrive outdoors in a low input, uh, a low-input farm situation where a- we're able to pr- provide high brows and move them every day. And I think uh, Taylor has something special on it when we bring them to him.
1: Yeah, well, I want to talk about the carcass in just a minute with you, Taylor. But before we get there, um, so, Pat, on your side, I said that you guys have 12 breeding does and two bucks. Is that right? We've
3: got about 15 does working right now. Okay. And uh, we send some to have some other families growing for us.
1: So... Give me a sense because, you know, rabbits obviously have a little bit of a reputation in this area. So can you break it down, the kind of breeding cycle of the animals?
3: Sure. The mothers will give us about three litters a year. It's a 30-day gestation period. So nurse for about six weeks. And then we move those kits into A-frames on the ground, like a chicken tractor that are moved every day. And we often provide some uh, grape leaves apple branches, rose clippings, and try to bring a high browse diet uh, into, their, into their grass. Uh, and they will graze rotationally for about 12 weeks more. So it takes us a lot longer to finish out a rabbit, but we feel that we have something special uh, that we can bring to Taylor, and he can then differentiate that maybe from some of the commercial products out there.
1: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Can you tell me, one of the things that I was reading about was something called a silvering process. What is that?
3: Well, that's the adult fur. The, uh, when the adult fur comes in, those silver tips are, represent the, the gray parentage, the French silver, and uh, the black is from the English parentage. What we get is a beautiful big rabbit with fine bone structure. So the, the giants are great mothers. They're hardy, and they thrive outdoors, but they have very small litters and huge bone structure. The silver fox re- retains the finer bone structure of the French silver and gives us a better yield. Uh, and and a fine meat texture
1: yeah so well let's talk about that a little bit taylor so before we talk specifically about the silver fox rabbits i wonder if you can give us a sense like when one is looking to put rabbit on the menu and let's say one runs a lovely three-star restaurant in the city (laughs) (laughs) what what are your options you know do you can you can you get it from like your local meat guy or your normal meat guy or like how hard is like rabbit to find to find and can you give us a little bit of a lay of the land of like kind of what's out there for folks
2: Yeah, sure. Uh, You know, rabbit is one of those things that's becoming increasingly popular with a lot of chefs. Uh, It's a bit of a lower-priced item, uh, so it's good to have on the menu. Um, You know, and you can really get it from anywhere, but what we do at Craft is we want to find the best, and for me, what I always say is I want to find the little guy fighting the good fight. You know, if you have 100 acres and you have 100 head of something, I might be interested, but if you have 5 acres and 5 of something, then I'm definitely going to be interested because there's that much more care and that much more love that goes into the things that you're breeding. And uh, vice versa, when we put it on the menu, it's the same thing. It's the same things that we uh, instill within our cooks. So
1: from like a, a breed perspective, um, is a, usually is a rabbit a rabbit when you're ordering them, or do you have a selection of breeds? I mean, I know obviously you know, Pat has decided to, to raise this very specific breed, but is there like a conventional rabbit that's kind of the like, quote-unquote like normal rabbit? <sighs>
2: yeah there's there's a bunch of different types of rabbits out there, uh but for me, I fell in love with Patrick's. Uh, like he just mentioned the yield when we break out the smaller bone structure uh it's something that I hadn't really seen before buying your you know rabbits that you would get from whoever um and it, I, was, I was thoroughly impressed when we boned out the rabbit and the size specifically of the loin um it was very very big, so i was I was excited about that
1: well, that's one of those things I think it's like. Makes a lot of sense as a chef, but maybe as just like a regular home consumer, you start talking about kind of carpet, carcass size and composition and loin size you're like oh it just you know there's a difference so um can you explain a little bit like when when someone says a fine bone structure, does that mean the bones are literally just smaller
2: uh no what it means is that there's a higher muscle content uh, surrounding the bone structure and things like that, the bones won't be as large or as dense. So I guess in turn, they could be a little bit smaller, but it's more to speak around the, the muscle structure and, uh, th- so much so that there's not a lot of bone hanging on the frame or Got the it. frame, of the animal wouldn't be so big.
1: So if the bones are lighter then I'm thinking about, you know, your, your live weight or, or your hanging weight, the amount of meat you're going to get Versus the amount of bones you're going to get, that's where you're going to see a difference.
2: Correct. Yeah, you're going to get a, a better yield. You're going to get more meat uh, for your dollar.
1: Uh, yeah. So why is that important for chefs? Well,
2: uh, you know, it's a business. It's it's operated by uh, cash on hand. So at the end of the day, yeah, you know, it's fun for me to to go and play with all these things, but I have fiscal responsibilities that I need to maintain. So
1: yeah. And so, Patrick, how did you know? I mean, to choose the Silver Fox, were you like, you're like, oh, this is. Obviously, it's a rare breed, which you're going to be able to charge a premium for. But was the kind of idea around carcass composition something you went into knowing or you were like, ah, belated glimpse of the obvious that I made a lucky choice?
3: A little bit of the latter. The reason I chose the breed, because they're absolutely underrepresented. They're large. They thrive outdoors in a low-input, sus- truly sustainable operation. They thrive on on-site assets, and that's very different than uh, the way a lot of American meat is grown. with a, It requires a huge amount of, of input assets. These thrive uh, with what we have on hand. Uh, the, the maternal instinct of the giants, so the English side, provides incredible mothering. So they'll raise all, the, all their kits and uh, a lot of milk. We co- we we, com- we concede a little bit on litter size, but she'll raise them all, and they're large and thrive outdoors. The the high yield was a, uh, a belated gift, and they'll dress out at about 60% of live weight, which is fantastic.
1: So you used a word in there that I want to define for folks, and maybe we can talk uh, we uh, through the kind of words for rabbits. So we said at the beginning, you know, does are females that are breeding animals. That's correct. And then the bucks are, are intact males.
3: That's right. And we have, we have three bucks. There's only 50 herds of silver foxes in the country. So, wow. I, so I was drawn to it to uh, be able to have a special rabbit that would help us tell a story because it, as Taylor said, we don't have a lot. So we need to have something special that we can differentially market and carry a premium and defend that premium with a quality product.
1: also like one of those things i find that's like i don't know such like a weird facet of the rare breed movement that kind of phrase you know you have to eat them to save them because essentially if there's no marketplace for it then there's no imperative for like farmers to grow and the alternative is we have a couple of rabbits in a zoo somewhere but not any kind of like flourishing um breeding stock. Where did you get the stock from?
3: Well, I went down to a fellow in Maryland, Will Morrow, runs a wonderful heritage breed farm down in Emmitsburg, Maryland. He was a source of my first bucks, and I went to a friend up in uh, Upton, Massachusetts, a veterinarian who had a nice herd, and she was a source of some does. So we started with two unrelated lines, and we've added another buck line. So we've got a really strong breeding program with three unrelated buck lines and about 15 does.
1: All right, and then I I've, I've skipped kits. Kits are... Kits are the young. The young. And how young are you young? Like, when does a kit go from a kit to a doe or a bug?
3: I guess at breeding age. At breeding age? We breed at either seven seven months or seven pounds. And I always jokingly say to my wife that uh, we don't need to name the kits because they won't be celebrating a birthday.
1: (laughs) Oh, brother. Um, So uh, when the animal... So the animal reaches sexual maturity around seven months, and then... um, I guess I'm curious, like, do you have to deal with, like, castration or other things because that you're slaughtering beho- beforehand, or is that not, like, an issue?
3: Non-issue. We'd, we'd, kill, we'd kill any male bucks, uh, any male are clearly ones that are going to go to, to tailor. Yeah. And we decide if we have space to, to retain some more does. So we're in a growth mode trying to retain some does and expand our breeding capability now.
1: So when you're, like, choosing amongst the litter, uh, like, what animals you're going to retain to add to your breeding stock, what are you looking for?
3: Confirmation, large loins, large uh, rumps and and hoppers. And so we just look for a hardy, good eater a calm a calm rabbit uh, because the mothers are let us reach in and check the kits in the nesting boxes and that's one of the special qualities of this breed the mothers are not stress susceptible some of the breeds you were asking what's the common commercial breed the new zealand white is the the largest commercial breed and those mothers can be very susceptible to stress and even abandon kits if you've reached in and placed your scent on them if they think they've been discovered Uh, these silvers do not suffer from stress susceptibility, so their mothering is outstanding.
1: And you said use the word confirmation. Can you define that?
3: Uh, body size that will yield a good meat animal.
1: And are you just evaluating that visually, or are there other kind of tools or techniques?
3: Just visually, in, in hands, and you look for a nice full. Uh, from the shoulders back, if it's full and fat, <laughs> and it's a happy. You're rabbit. Like
1: the Kim Kardashian of rabbits. <laughs>
3: <laughs> we love that. That's that's a trait that we try to retain.
1: <laughs> awesome. So, uh, and then yeah. So you said like, um, that's I think the other thing that's so interesting is like one. You know the genetics have such a such a big factor in what the animal both kind of physically looks like but also their temperament and so having like a docile herd that is comfortable in the, like multiple situations or like interacting with humans like from a management perspective that gives you a lot of different options
3: absolutely right the giants are known for calm demeanor and great mothering and the by bringing in the French silver, we've just got a little faster growth, a little better yield, and it's a great combination.
1: So when the animals go for slaughter, um, are you just going to like a regular poultry abattoir or is there like what's the slaughter situation for the rabbit industry for, or, you know, you specifically?
3: Well, they're not, they're not, they do not fall under USDA uh, control, so we can have them done at a, at a state-approved facility, and, and there are a couple of those around us.
1: Interesting, and so Taylor, you're getting the animals in completely intact with their fur on. Is that right?
2: Correct. The uh, the innards have been removed, though.
1: Okay, so why why remove the innards?
2: They uh, prevent rot and things like that.
1: And is there like an age factor with rabbits? Like, do you want to age them, or do you want to eat them as fresh as possible, or what is that?
2: Yeah, for me, I, uh, I consider rabbit to be game. Most people really don't, but it is uh, to a certain point. And uh, for me, I like to prescribe to a bit of English methodology for aging game. Uh, and it usually falls within about a, uh, about a week time frame. Um, so Patrick will have the animals killed, send them to us, and they've hung overnight. And then I'll hang them uh, to relax or allow the animal to completely finish the aging process for about a week.
1: So aside from being able to, like, you know, startle the garmanger team with, like,
2: <laughs> <laughs>
1: with fur on rabbits, why? What, what's the benefit of having them come in with the fur?
2: It's a bit of a natural protective barrier. Uh, you can allow the full week-long aging process without any, uh, any unwanted evaporation of any moisture within the protein uh, or within the animal. And there's minimal loss on that front. And the only thing that happens is you're allowing the natural existing flavor to be fortified.
1: And what about kind of storage in that state? Does that bring issues up issues for your walk-in?
2: Uh, not really. I, I have a picture that I'll show you. It's uh, actually we, we have a small bar in the back of uh, in the back of our walk-in, and uh, we just kind of hang them up on there.
1: Cool. Well, while we're taking a look at that pick, which we'll describe when we come back, why don't we take a quick station break? Hang tight. You're listening to the Farm Report, and we'll be right back. You are listening to Dance with the Devil by The Sparrows.
0: So what's it gonna be? You take the holy high road or you come along with me? I'll show you what it's like to live With all the chances that I'll give We won't get lost amongst the crowd people will turn their heads and how just take a look at you, you're dreaming of a life out on the
3: road Since 2001 Heritage Foods USA has sold pasture-raised, antibiotic-free heritage meats to restaurants and homes around the country Our farmers raise their animals with care using traditional methods guaranteed to produce the very best-tasting meat Our pork breeds include Berkshire, Red Wattle. Duroc, Gloucester Old Spot, Large Black, and Tamworth, and our beef comes from Piedmontese, Angus Akiyushi, Belgian Blue, Highland, Simmental, and Belted Galloway cattle. We also carry a rotation of 24 rare breeds of Heritage Chicken, seasonal specialties like lamb, goat, geese, and of course, Heritage Turkeys. Visit us online at www.heritagefoodsusa.com or give us a call at 718 389 0985 to place your order today. Hey, my name is Betsy Andrews, executive editor of
0: Severa Magazine, and I am hanging out at the coolest, most delicious place in the world,
1: heritageradionetwork.org. And we are back. You're tuned into the Farm Report. We're in studio talking silver fox rabbits with Taylor Naples, the chef de cuisine at Kraft Restaurant here in New York City. And then Patrick Beck, who runs New England Grass-Fed up in Hope Valley, Rhode Island. So, Taylor, before the break, uh, you were talking a little bit about storage of the rabbits. So let's jump into when it's getting down to eating time. So, <laughs> um, obviously, I'm assuming the first step is to skin the animal. Can you kind of take us through uh, what your process is, kind of step by step, from you know, pulling out of the walk into what I'm going to see on my plate when I walk into craft.
2: Yeah. So what we obviously have to do is first clean it up, uh, take the skin off. And that's a bit of an easy process. You grab a bit of the, of the back by the scruff, make a small incision and then just pull the hide and it kind of separates on its own. Uh, From there you trim the feet and the head and the tail. Um, After that, there isn't really much cleaning that's needed outside of taking the bones out. So it's a pretty, pretty quick and pretty easy process. Uh, At that point, we'll take the bones out, and then I make a uh, rub of Dijon mustard, fennel pollen, a bit of thyme, raw garlic, and lemon zest. And we'll rub that on the inside of the cavity, and we'll let that sit overnight. Um, From there, we make a a stuffing of mushrooms, pickled mustard seeds, scallions, and again, lemon zest. Um, And then we'll roll the animal up. We'll wrap it in call fat due to the low-fat content of rabbits, and then we'll uh, truss them up so they stay real nice, and then roast them.
1: So you, you mentioned that rabbit is like a leaner protein. Um, are there, are there like health benefits to rabbit? I mean, is that a factor that people are interested in aside from just like the flavor or the texture? Maybe you can talk a little bit about like, what is it you think that makes people choose that on your menu?
2: Um, I think one is, you know, rabbits and mustard go together really well. So, you know, we nailed that one. Um, outside of that, it's also, I think it's a bit of a more fun chicken. Um, I hate to put it in the category of chicken, but you know, rabbit isn't too much of a robust flavor. It is a white meat. Um, it's not quite as powerful as something like pork or something like that. But it's uh, it's a bit of a a beginner's food that's a little bit different than what, what you normally see.
1: I feel like someone told me once that if you want to practice like your your large animal butchering skills, that rabbits are a great animal to practice on because their carcass like mimics larger animals is that true or did i just
2: no yeah it's pretty true i mean most most four-legged creatures for the most part have a rib cage four legs that you need to bone out and for the most part give or take depending on what it is uh the muscle structure hangs on the frame or or the bone structure the same way the
1: same way um so obviously like this is a preparation that you've chosen for the restaurant but what are some other ways that people might want to think about using rabbit and i'm also curious do you have some of the um same issues with like the different body parts being needed to like cook differently or
2: yeah you know um, I mean for me the first time I had rabbit was um, deep fried in a little bit of a buttermilk batter with some honey and black pepper so that, that was a little special um, and uh You know, obviously that was a leg portion versus a loin or a rack, which, you know, obviously needs to be roasted and cooked a little bit more delicately. And the legs that are used more need to be cooked a little bit more. So the way that we get around that is we take the animal, bone it out completely, put the mustard rub on overnight, and then we split right down the middle in between the two loins where the spine would be uh, and take and basically invert. So there's the bottom half with the top half and the bottom half with the top half again on the other half of the animal. We're only serving half of an animal. Um, so that way there we're preventing things from overcooking and undercooking and we achieve a nice medium cook.
1: Awesome. Sounds delicious. (laughs) (laughs) Um, well, I want to talk a little bit about, you know, supply chain. I mean, Pat, you mentioned that there's only, you know, 50, is it 50 people growing the silver Fox or 50 breeding sets or I I can't remember exactly
3: when I started. Few, about four years ago, with uh, Will Morrow down in in Maryland, Will told me there's just about 50 herds in the country, about Got 50 it. production herds, and uh, so that's a, an anecdotal story. But uh, they are special rabbits, and we are honored to have them in the hands of someone like Taylor, who's able to bring that special uh, care and and uh, culinary. Uh, treatment to uh, to these animals
1: yeah yeah no i think they're still i think they're listed as threatened on the aalbc website um which did, gives some sense of like the volume of animals in production so when we think about kind of the the rabbit quote-unquote the rabbit industry i mean is there a sense from either of you that like rabbit is kind of an on-trend item do you see like a, this is being a space that's going to kind of grow in the coming years or uh Maybe now,
3: I think it absolutely can grow because there was an article in Vogue magazine last month about rabbit as the hip hop, about its <laughs> sustain- uh, healthy and sustainable meat grown at home uh, for some people. And so it was something we wanted to show is the opportunity to have healthy, sustainable meat that's uh, even ho- home production for some.
1: Yeah. Well, I want to come back to that sustainability question. But before we do that, Taylor, I'm wondering for your front of house staff, you know, Rabbit is one of those animals that, you know, I think, to, I don't know, Disney and, like, stuffed animals and Easter <laughs> Yeah, kind of, like, has this kind of, like, warm, fuzzy, pet-like um, reputation. Has that been a challenge for your team? Or, like, are people coming in to craft already kind of, like, in a culinary space where they're, like, beyond that? Or, you know, how do you kind of deal with that table side?
2: I think for us at Craft, our, our diner is educated more than the average diner and you know they see rabbit on the menu and they believe in tom's philosophy of we're not going to put it on if it's endangered or if it's mass produced or anything like that um so they're they're aware that we're doing the right thing and i think that uh it's a little bit of an easier sell as i said our our diner it dines out quite often so right. but yeah i mean i think in, in smaller operations uh it may be a little bit more difficult outside of new york city
1: um pat i meant to ask this sooner but you had mentioned when I asked about the the fur that they the animals don't they're not old enough to actually have like harvestable fur. When when does that hit? Like if you were to change or to grow some of your operation to be a fur production, how does that shift?
3: It, interesting question. Thank you for asking it. My friend is a Pequot Indian, and she wanted to make some woven blankets. And she said that rabbits would have needed to be about a year old to have a hide. The, the fur quality is fine, but the hide is so thin. At the uh, about six months when we were harvesting, and she said they would need to have been about twice the amount of hide there to be uh, sturdy enough to to do anything with.
1: Pull, so, uh, is there like just not really like a market for the fur, or you're like oh, it's just like a whole other business? We're not there yet.
3: Well, I don't know that we. I think by a year old, I'd have a rabbit that's a lot bigger and tougher, and I think uh, Taylor could speak to the texture of the meat. But I, I think our goals are to provide the best eating rabbit right and uh, at this point we cannot uh have a great hide and a great eater
1: yeah you have to Uh, make a choice yeah no that makes a lot of sense well kind of coming back to that sustainability question it's big you know we're looking at the center of the plate we're thinking about meat um you know how do we think about sustainability when it when it comes to rabbits like in the spectrum of meat obviously like you're in an operation that's doing work with You know beef, and I think you have a little bit of background in pork as well. Like, where does rabbit sit in that in that spectrum?
3: We love that we can grow them with on-site assets in a rotational program, uh, and really show people that this great meat can be grown right close to home, and not need to be moved around. Frankly, I, I help others start herds of silver foxes. I just took some up to Maine last week. Rather than try to sell rabbits to Maine, I'd rather. Facilitate a a new Silver Fox herd up there to uh, to service the restaurants down in Portsmouth, New Hampshire, and that's what we're doing.
1: Cool, cool. So, um, is that is like a rabbit something I could you know raise in my backyard here in Brooklyn?
3: Absolutely. Uh, If you had uh, some, let's see, some kale and uh, some garden scraps, we
1: have kale in Brooklyn.
3: (laughs) (laughs) So it's it's perfect for for back home usage, and if you go around France and Italy, many people have rabbit uh, as a homegrown meat and uh it's something that we're we're trying to uh make a little more familiar around here
1: yeah you would use that expression like homegrown or or home meat um i think it's like something we're like uh, folks are just coming around to the idea of like having a chicken in their backyard for eggs and i always wonder like well what happens when it's like winter (laughs) and you're in brooklyn and those chickens gotta like some's gotta go some's gotta go on with that i'm curious if there's we're gonna see in the next couple of years um some you know on-site classes around at home slaughter
3: sure the uh the beauty of these is home home food production is that people maybe come into a sense of spiritual uh acceptance and not acceptance i guess the right word would be gratitude Uh, a space of gratitude for that meat and to take that life i always talk about the good life before the sharp knife And so we don't struggle with killing these animals, but we sure take great care of them. I took care of everybody at 6 a.m. this morning before coming down. So that uh, being aware and to cherish that life before taking it is something that maybe uh, would be a good, a good message for people to take away today,
1: I think for me, yeah, i re- I think a lot about uh, Thomas Keller r- wrote this beautiful story in the French laundry cookbook about the working with his local rabbit farmer, and he's like, you know, I wanted to experience the slaughter process, so he had the the farmer come and drop the rabbits off in the in the restaurant's backyard. and, you know they showed him the first one. He's like, but then he left and there I was sitting in the middle of the yard and there's, you know, half a dozen rabbits hopping around. And like his experience um, with the slaughter and then the cooking, I think, really informed. And I think you're doing a little bit that at, at craft, even having the animal come in with the with the skin and the fur on. You're really kind of forging a connection um, with your with your cooks as as to like where the animal kind of came from.
2: Yeah, you know, that's that's a lot of what we do at Craft. We want to uh, showcase things that we get through great guys like Patrick and New England Grass-Fed and, you know, Heritage as well. But, um, you know, for me, I was surrounded coming up by, by younger cooks who didn't really know how to butcher a rabbit or what a rabbit looked like before they opened up the cryovac package that it came in from one big meat house or something. So, um, what, you know, when I got uh, the opportunity to take over Craft, Tom and I had talked about bringing... Bringing that experience and my want and desire to show younger generation what it is to to get a whole animal, and like what Patrick keeps talking about, homegrown food and things like that. What it used to be like a hundred years ago to work in a kitchen, or you know, when guys like Thomas Keller were coming up in kitchens. Um, what it was like for them when you know he went to France and things of this nature.
1: Yeah, super cool. Well, guys, thank you so much for joining us in the studio today. It's been great to have you.
3: Yeah, it's great to be here. Special treat. Thank you.
1: So, if you guys want to learn a little bit more about uh, Pat's work, definitely you can check him out at www.newenglandgrassfed.com. And uh, similarly, if you uh, want to want to experience some rabbit on your plate, uh, check out Craft. You can find more of them, the hours, reservations, and whatnot by visiting craftrestaurantsinc.com. Thanks so much for tuning in. This has been another episode of the Farm Report. The show, like all 39 of our weekly programs, is available for free. You can find us on iTunes, Stitcher Smart Radio, but I hope you'll visit the website, www.heritageradionetwork.org. If you like what we do, we are a member-supported organization, so click that donation tab and become a member today. Thanks so much for listening. Stay tuned in.